Hi, I'm Keith Law, and welcome to episode 21 of the Keith Law Show. Going to do something a little bit different this week and answer a bunch of reader questions to account for the fact that I haven't been doing as much in terms of chats or, or periscopes lately because we've kind of been in a bit of limbo, uh, waiting for the season to start, waiting to find out who's actually going to play this year. And uh, frankly, see how much of my skepticism about MLB's ability to pull this off will be justified. Uh, before I start answering your questions, uh, first of all, I'd like to thank everyone who's uh, subscribed. To a lot of really nice comments and ratings from folks on iTunes. If you do listen through iTunes and haven't uh, left a rating or a comment yet, I just want to let you know I really appreciate that. Also gotten some very, very nice comments and feedback from folks on my book, The Inside Game. Sounds like a lot of you either gave it as a gift for Father's Day or received it as a gift for Father's Day. Really appreciate that. You can still get the book pretty much anywhere you buy books. Bookshop.org is my favorite place to send people online because they give a portion of their proceeds to support independent bookstores and often source books they sell through indie bookstores that obviously could really use our help uh, during the uh, trying economic times this year. So now let's get right to it. I got a couple dozen questions from folks. Just I put out a call on Twitter on Monday, and uh, even without giving you guys a whole lot of notice, I've got a lot of response, a lot of really good questions in here. Mostly baseball, but not all baseball, because I do not stick to sports. First question, Tony Fiorillo. Fiorillo? Hopefully I'm doing that right. Hopefully, Hopefully you say that right, Tony. You are Italian. You've got to represent the homeland properly. Fiorillo. How much do you think the short season along with the build-up, cool-off, build-up process of the spring will hurt starting pitchers as a whole for 2021? Will there be dramatic workload reductions next year, assuming something resembling a normal season is played? I have wondered about this and if there is a rational or evidence-based way to try to answer that question, and I don't think so because we've never seen a season this short, right? I think the shortest season we've had was 1981, actually the shortest, and that was its own shape, right? Short season, sh- longer than normal layoff in the middle, but shorter than an off season than another short season. Also, people just use their pitchers a lot more back then. The whole paradigm of pitcher usage and pitcher innings is completely different today than it was 40 years ago. One uh, hypothesis I've had is that this could actually help some pitchers. Pitchers who are Dealing with arm stuff, elbow or shoulder, I was probably thinking this more about shoulder, that was serious enough to maybe cost them some time or effectiveness, but not serious enough to put them on the injured list or require surgery. Would any of them be better off from only playing a 60-game season or perhaps just skipping the season entirely? So we saw Michael Kopech, for example, who's coming back from Tommy John surgery. He is not going to pitch this year. David Price, also not going to pitch this year. Both of them have dealt with some injuries that, in Kopech's case, it's just Tommy John took him out for a year and change. Not atypical, certainly. Uh, in Price's case, it was a little bit more complicated, hasn't had surgery, but he'd lost some velocity here and there, and it's come, come back kind of intermittently. Are either of them going to be better off from missing this entire season? I don't know, but I'm very curious to see that. We don't really... We don't do that, right? We don't think of established pitchers taking a year off to try to get stronger or healthier. It is assumed that if you're well enough to pitch at all, you will pitch. And if you're not well enough to pitch at all, you go under the knife. It's mostly those two options. I mean, I understand there's some people in between, but the majority, we try to push them into one of those two buckets. Will we learn something about pitchers this year that says actually taking a year off? And maybe to Tony's question, maybe just pitching 
less than half a season. Are some guys better off as a result of that? Tony, I know your question was kind of in the other direction. I'm not trying to be all Pollyannish about this, but I, I have wondered for a while, are, do we just think about pitching wrong and that letting guys take a year to get stronger? I assume they don't do nothing. They'll be working on conditioning, but not actually pitching. How will that affect guys? Will some guys come back actually healthier and stronger than they would have if they pitched straight through? Tom Fowler writes on Twitter, how many games do you think we get before the season shuts down? Grim question, but do you think any players, coaches, or staffers die of the virus? How do you hate 30 teams and 1,000 plus players and still have time to do things like read sarcasm in case it's not obvious? Uh, I So my former colleague at ESPN, Adnan Verk, who now works for uh, DAZN, he just asked me today, what odds do you give on them completing a season, completing the 60-game season? And I said less than half, maybe one in three. So I don't know if that translates to saying I think we get 20 games before there's a shutdown. It's probably not really right. It's just more that I think things are going to shut down. And I want to be very much want to be wrong about this. But I think that uh, I think that particularly state governments and a lot of the states where baseball is going to be playing or expecting to play games, they've just done such a poor job across the board of responding to the pandemic. This can be very hard for baseball to play in this many different sites and not have some kind of outbreak. I want to be wrong. But I feel like that's the more likely outcome. That is not the same as saying I don't think they should try to have a season, but it is saying I think the odds are worse than Major League Baseball would like to acknowledge. Uh, Do I think any players, coaches, or staffers die of the virus? Probably not qualified to answer that question. Obviously, I hope nobody even gets seriously sick from it. Uh, And how do I have time to do things like read with all the time I spend hating all the teams and all the players? Uh, You know, reading is the nourishment. It fuels me so that I have more energy to spend hating your favorite team. Jay Owens at Owens006 asks uh, two questions. I'm going to do these in reverse order. Will the DH stay in the NL going forward? I think the answer is yes. What is the effect of the shortened season on the salary cap and competitive balance tax? Is everyone under now or is it prorated? I'd have to look that up. My understanding was that it was prorate, like you're judged. It's prorated. In other words, you're judged against, they would say, well, what was your full season salary going to be? You're not paying that, but we're still saying, well, this is what you had uh, assumed for a full season. If they signed somebody as a free agent right now for $2 million, they would do $2 million times whatever that would be, 162 over 60. And then count that towards your total payroll to figure out where you are relative to the luxury tax threshold. Josh Hausam asks a question I actually really want to answer. Uh, not that I don't want to answer your other questions, but this one in particular because a lot of people are asking it and I've been thinking about it. He asks, how will prospect rankings be handled next year? Meaning, how will I handle prospect rankings? With so many players not playing in games, not to mention the even younger players who aren't even among the 60-man pool rosters. So if we play of regular season this year, we will have two significant changes that will be enough to do some kind of re-rank. One is we had a draft. So Josh, I'm pretty sure Blue Jays fan. Uh, so we have Austin Martin. Austin Martin's somewhere in my top 20 prospects right now. I think I've already said that, but if, if I hadn't said that, yes, he's one of my top 20 prospects. I think he's going to be a superstar. All Those draft guys go in. If we play 60 games, many players will lose their rookie eligibility. And so we are going to delete, they'll, they will graduate from the list, essentially. Um, that's enough that I could do a top 100 in January and it will look different. Now, it will not be the massive change that we would have year to year and it probably I'll probably just write a lot less 
because even talking to player development guys, how much more are they going to say about players? How much are they going to say about players that's different from what they said to me in January and February of this year? Probably not a lot different, particularly if there's nothing in the fall. If we don't have fall instructional league, (laughs) we're not having that. Not in Arizona and Florida, at least. We're not going to have an Arizona fall league. That stuff's just not going to be able to happen. And if you have any complaints about it, call, write a letter to Ron DeSantis and Doug Ducey. That's on them. The fact is, we're not going to get playing time for these prospects. And so I am assuming those will be the two major changes. We'll see graduations and the addition of guys from the draft. There could be players who play some in the majors this year and show us something in either direction that changes the evaluation of the player, but they still qualify for next year. I wouldn't rule that out, but I will, of course, be inclined to somewhat uh, not dismiss it, but not weigh it too heavily because we'll be dealing with very small samples in a really weird situation this year. So, you know, that's kind of the the answer on how I think the rankings will be different. I think maybe it's your overall question though, Josh. It's if players aren't playing, I'm not going to move them up or down without new information. Right? We have to have something. And somebody's saying, "Oh, he's been working out all year and he's in the best shape of his life." Like, okay. I don't know what that means. You know, in, in baseball terms, what does that actually mean? Well, I wrote a whole thing about this a couple of weeks ago, the player development challenge that teams are facing. How do you continue to develop players when they're not actually facing live competition and they're not actually playing games? You can continue working on developing them, but it's going to be very hard to evaluate whether they've made any progress without the kinds of data that teams now insist on from players playing. And if they're not getting that kind of data, then obviously I'm not getting that kind of data. And I'm not getting the kind of subjective data I typically get from scouts because as of right now, nobody's scouting anywhere uh, at the professional level. So I would expect to leave kind of everybody else more or less where they are and then delete the guys who graduated and add the guys who were just drafted. And that means a smaller prospect rankings right up next year. And hopefully it's a one-time thing. And then by the time we get to 2022, I'm able to redo the whole process over again. And maybe by then it's a huge change year to year because we're getting so much new information after a year where we got very little. Luke Martin at Luke R. Martin asks, have the owners and MLBPA figured out what happens if they start the season but aren't able to finish in regards to service time, free agency, etc.? cetera? Uh, another good question. I don't actually know the answer to that one. My assumption, and, and I just say, I'm, I'm just because I haven't gone to check this out. I believe that the service time credit will be there. It is more questions like, would that qualify somebody for free agency if they don't finish? What if a player was optioned back, sent back to the satellite camp partway through and then things shut down? I assume they've negotiated all this. I haven't seen the answer yet. Cam's 322 Mike asks, do you think MLB will finish all 60 games in the playoffs? I did answer that below. If I set the over under at 60 for players testing positive, now until it's over, you're going over or under. I will say over with the recognition that many players will test positive and not show symptoms. They will still be forced, obviously, to sit out to prevent any spread. But just given the number of players we've already seen testing positive, more are going to test positive. Major League Baseball, with compliance from players, could probably limit the spread within the sport. Players really have to be compliant, though. They have to avoid public gatherings outside of the ballpark they have to wear masks. They're also depending on other people wearing masks too. The masks are really more about 
not spreading. So you could see, I'm hoping what we'll see will be isolated instances. A player tests positive, is removed from the pool for two weeks, and then is able to return, but that it's caught before, especially if he's following guidelines and, and those around him are, it's caught before he makes 10 of his teammates or coaches or staffers sick as well. That That's our best hope for completing the season. And it requires really something pretty close to universal compliance. That's hard to do in any population of people, let alone a bunch of men in their 20s. Dennis R. Chase asks, for a young prospect who needs reps, does it make sense to play in the big leagues this season since it is the only option or on the downside, such as adding to the 40-man too great? I'm thinking of Joey Bart, but it could apply to others as well. So, there's a there's a, a situation in between, which is that there are or will be the equivalent of minor league spring training games happening at the alternate site of the satellite camp. So these will be more intra-squad games. As of right now, Major League Baseball is not allowing those players to travel to play other teams just for safety reasons, uh, which I understand. You know, I have to tamp down my emotional desire and saying, what, the Yankees guys can't just go over to play the Mets guys? They're in the same city, right? They can't just go. Well, no, actually, they're not. The Yankees satellite camp is out in um, Scranton Wilkes Bar. But seriously, but, you know, but they're right by Lehigh Valley, which is the Philly satellite camp. Those guys are what? 45 minutes apart? They couldn't just go play each other? Okay, I get it. The rational thing is no. Rational answer is no. They shouldn't go play each other. That's fine. Those guys even playing in intra-squad games are getting something. And if a player really isn't ready, isn't on the 40-man, and really isn't ready to face Major League competition, I wouldn't force it. Now, Joey Bart, on the other hand, probably would have made his Major League debut before the end of this year if they had played a regular 162-game season. He would not have had to go on the 40-man yet. However, developmentally, he should be ready. Given his age, experience coming from the ACC, played at Georgia Tech, where he was drafted, the expectations that I think he's basically been that player since he got into pro ball. They should probably, if he maybe he's not on the Giants opening day roster next week, but if he plays in a bunch of those intra squads and he's healthy, he's had a lot of issues with injuries since he got into pro ball and he seems to be hitting well, you know what? Just bring him up. Absolutely move him up, especially for a catcher. I think there's always a benefit to getting catchers into situations where they are asked to do more difficult catching things, whether it's catching better quality pitching, working with better pitchers, working with different kinds of pitchers, and maybe some more experienced pitchers who can work with him on the art of calling a game, for example. I think the exposure probably goes a long way for a catcher like Bart, who is pretty close to ready anyway. Patrick Bryden at Patrick J. Bryden on Twitter. I know you do board games, but do you ever dabble in puzzles? A little bit. I like them. Um, I actually probably like them too much. We did a thousand piece villainous puzzle from Ravensburger that I'd gotten because I review games and Ravensburger does some great board games too. They, I get very sucked into puzzles, like really sucked into puzzles. That was a thousand piece puzzle. It took us three days, three evenings to finish it. And the problem is I can't see the puzzle and not stop and look. And be like, Wait, I think. Wait, I think I see that. Oh, no, just one more. Just, just No, just one more piece. I just got to do just one just one more. It's a problem that I have. So we have some puzzles in the house. We sort of bust them out for certain occasions. Um, but I do like them. And I, I will say, I think Ravensburger has some great ones. I've got to have had a couple of them in the house. And I do. There's a reason that they've been around for like a century. 
making toys and puzzles and games because they do some pretty good ones. Smelling good is important, and thanks to Hawthorne, smelling good is easier than ever. It's time to move on from that old bottle of cologne that you've been holding on to since high school, and it's time to start taking care of your hair and skin. Here's how it works. Just take a quick two-minute quiz, and Hawthorne tells you the products that are best for you, including two colognes, one for work and one for play, along with a full complement of shampoo, conditioner, body wash, deodorant, and lotions that smell great, but are also free of sulfate, silicone, and aluminum. All of Hawthorne's products are cruelty-free as well. You can even take the quiz for someone else to find the perfect gift. Hawthorne is totally risk-free with free shipping and free returns. Check out Hawthorne at hawthorne.co. That's Hawthorne with an E and .co, not .com, hawthorne.co, and use my promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase. That's hawthorne.co, and use my promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase. Hawthorne.co. Dan Dapper underscore Dan K, favorite baseball books not written by me. Um, other people write baseball books. Uh, Jeff Passan's The Arm from a couple of years ago was really great. Russell Carlton's The Shift. I have said many times, if you liked my book, Smart Baseball, and were looking to read something along very similar lines, uh, Russell answers a lot of the same kinds of questions from a similar mindset, uh, but with the added benefit that he's got a, uh, he's actually a clinical psychologist too, so he has that perspective as well. Um, and I think that the two books just really go nicely together. We wrote them independently at pretty close to the same time, but I think that you could read one and then follow up with the other, and they both would feel like companion books. And, and I say that because I, I think Russ just did a really, really great job uh, in his book. I, I also have to say, like, I don't even know if this book is uh, still in print at the moment, but John Hellyar's Lords of the Realm, uh, it's probably a little out of date, but it is essentially the business history of baseball up through the 94 strike. So much of what's there still applies. The longstanding antipathy of owners towards players and their just endless desire to not pay players what they're worth. You have to, if you read that book, you will better understand understand the owner's mindset in every negotiation and probably be a lot less likely to accept the greedy players line that you still get from a lot of the mainstream media, particularly old guard, print media, TV media, who just, they just side with the owners because these players are just get trying to get paid to play a game. And why should they make more than teachers and policemen and all of the bad faith economic arguments uh, that you will hear from owners and from their mouthpieces? And if you read Lords of the Realm, it will provide a lot of balance to your thinking. Greg Zach is a hot dog a sandwich. Yes, of course, it's a sandwich. It's absolutely a sandwich. Uh, Ethan Upstarchik says, I am, I don't have a baseball question, but my wife has been kicking my ass all during quarantine in Carcassonne, which is one of my all-time favorite board games. My question is, are there any strategies I could use, or should I just throw the game out in traffic and act like I don't know where it went? No, don't do not do that. That's a good game. Candyland you could throw in traffic. Monopoly, certainly you could throw in traffic. Uh, Carcassonne is is quite good. The I think the trick to playing Carcassonne well competitively is to be mean uh, and kind of sneaky. And this is a bit sort of inside baseball, but if you, if, because if you haven't played Carcassonne, this won't make a lot of sense. But the shortest answer is you want to try to horn in on anything that your opponent is doing to either grab some of those points for yourself, particularly building cities, or just block them. 
just find ways so that they can't finish their city. And then that little meeple token that they've put down becomes useless for the rest of the game. I learned a lot by playing the app, um, the iOS app that is not available anymore, but if you can still find it somewhere, it was from Coding Monkeys. It's out of the app store because their license expired after 10 years, but it was really great. Uh, graphics were great. Actually, sort of secretly liked the music. And they had AI players that were both really strong and also one that was characterized as evil. And by watching that, you realize that that's a different way to play when you're not just playing like with kids, you're playing with other adults, you're trying to play competitively. That's what you have to do. Anytime you can do something to stop your opponent from a big score, either by getting half of it for yourself or just blocking them, that's what you have to do. It is not how I typically play games. I'm not a cutthroat player most of the time, but that's kind of how you play Carcassonne well. Uh, Bennett Cohen, Bennett S. Cohen on Twitter, Dustin May is said to have hit 99 on the radar gun. It wasn't a game, right? It doesn't count. I don't care how hard guys throw unless there's a batter in the box and the pitch counts and looks better than ever. Well, he, look, he was a great prospect. I'm not disputing. Can he make up for the loss of David Price? Yes, I think so. I think he could provide the value that they were hoping to get from David Price this year. Uh, and what other younger rookie players on the Dodgers and elsewhere might use the 60-game venue to break out as MLB stars? So I will, at some point, in fact, I can see right here, Colin, who's Ginobili the, the GOAT, also asked, are you going to write a breakout player's column, or is it silly in such a small sample? I am going to do something like that. It will probably be shorter than normal, but maybe it won't. I'm going to sit down and th- I've been thinking about it a little bit. I will sit down over the next week. We're going to do it right before the season actually starts. Uh, I spoke to my editor, and w- one of our thoughts was, let's get closer to the season starting before we do a lot of season preview content, or at least my season preview content, because let's make sure they're actually going to start the season. But yes, I would like to do something along, hey, here are, the, here are players who haven't really been great yet, but I thought they were going to break out this year anyway, and I know it's only 60 games. Look, here are their names. Maybe they break out, maybe they don't. Everything's going to be a little wonky, but I don't view the shortened season as a reason not to do those kinds of predictions, not to talk about which young players I thought were maybe ready to take a step forward. So um, I certainly expect to do that. I think it'll run at some point the middle to end of next week. I'll also do some kind of standings predictions. Not a lot. Um, not Maybe not as detailed as normal. Maybe I will. I don't know. It doesn't matter, right? If some, It's very easy to see. I could pick some team to go 25 and 35, and they just get off to a great start and end up going 40 and 20. It could happen. Uh, anything like that could happen in a sample this small. Silent Tristero asks, are your kids school-aged, and are you, or would you, if they're older, consider sending them to school in the fall? They have not made a decision yet on the daughter uh, that school my daughter is supposed to attend this fall. They haven't decided exactly what the plan is, if it'll be all in school, some kind of hybrid, partially in school, partially online, or if it'll be completely remote learning. I do expect to send her to school based on the limited evidence that we have now that kids are less likely to transmit the disease. They're less likely to get sick from it. They're less likely to transmit it. But also, I know the school she's going to. I have followed their process, and I know enough people there that I feel confident that they are going to make a rational decision on the best thing for the students. As much as everybody wants, not everybody, many people would like to see kids back in school because I think this pandemic has exposed the massive childcare deficit in this country, which particularly affects working moms. 
I think a lot more than it affects everybody, anybody else. I am not rushing to, I'm lucky. I work at home and I'm probably not going to travel much if at all this year. And so I could stay home with my daughter. Uh, I think she wants to go back to school more than anyone. I do think at this point, the situation in Delaware and the situation at my daughter's specific school will be such that sending her will be the right option, the right option based on the available evidence. I could change my mind. We will see what's going on. Delaware had a spike in cases right after they reopened the beaches and some of the restaurants and bars by the beach. They shut those down and paused any further reopening. And after a sort of a lagged surge, cases have begun to, the case rate has been declining for several days now. That has to continue. I think if that doesn't continue, they're not going to open the schools anyway. Uh, Uncle Weeze asks, the Reds seem to be high on big thumping bats with big glaring contact issue. Reese Hines, Austin Hendrick, Tyler Callahan, etc. They seem to have unlocked something with Aquino who had similar issues. How confident are you that they can develop these guys into legit hitters? So Callahan, to me, is not in the same category. I think Callahan is much more of a hitter um, who has some thump, but I do not think he is anywhere near Hines or Hendrick in terms of propensity to swing and miss. I would also question whether they really unlocked something with Aquino or whether this was a not great hitter who has tools getting lucky and getting to the majors in the happy fun ball time. And that was reflected in a big home run output. He still only had a 316 on base percentage. He still struck out. What is that? About four times as often as he walked. You know, would I? what would I bet on Aquino's line looking like in a full season? I would actually probably guess he'd have an on-base percentage in the 290s. I don't think he's actually a better hitter than we thought he was coming into last season. That said, Hines and Hendrick as draft picks. Hines was second rounder. Hendrick was their first rounder this year. I'm fine with that approach to, no pun intended, in the draft going for some ceiling guys thinking these guys are potential impact players who'll bat fourth in a lineup if they click. And if they don't click, obviously you don't have much of anything, but it's rolling the dice on huge potential upside. In all three cases, this would be true on Callahan too, at points in the draft where you wouldn't expect to find that kind of offensive upside. It's because in the case of the first two, it comes with swing and miss. In the case of Callahan, it comes with uncertainty about what position he'll be able to play. Uh, I see uh, Jack Ass Penguin, great name, asking a couple of Giants questions here. Is Seth Corey a future top 100 for me? I would say maybe, probably less than 50% chance, but would absolutely not say zero chance. Any chance Canario or Matos end up being better than Luciano? Sure, they're all kids. They're all talented. They're all far away. Any one of them could take a big step forward. Luciano could could stall. I don't think his plate discipline is as advanced as, say, Wander Franco or Vlad Guerrero Jr. at the same ages. I think he's got huge upside physically, but he and and additional value from his defense too, but he could stall or even go backwards pretty easily given where he is as a hitter right now. Uh Michael Rizzuto, I won't even try I want your your Twitter handle has a bunch of numbers in it, but I'm gonna assume you're not a, actually a Russian bot. Everyone around the Yankees has talked about how impressive Clark Schmidt has been in spring training 2.0. Do I think he can skip AAA altogether and be a productive back-end piece of the rotation? Yes. Yes, I do. That one I feel very confident about. I don't think AAA is all that essential for 
the development of position players or pitchers, but especially for pitchers. And I saw Schmidt towards the end of last year and then talked to a lot of people who'd seen Schmidt. He's pretty good, and I think he's pretty ready. I don't think you're waiting on much except for health in his case. Uh, the pesky poll asks, how will this year affect the development of prospects? I think I kind of answered that a bit with two earlier questions here. I, I just will reiterate, we don't entirely know. Probably more prospects are hurt than helped by the year off, but it's possible that some guys will use the time off to change their bodies or rework swings or mechanics in positive ways. And I do think some pitchers will end up benefiting. Right? I have at least hypothesized some pitchers will end up benefiting from taking a year off from throwing. Last question, Very Don one asks, where would you rank Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter, both of them are at Vanderbilt, in the top 100 prospect list if they were drafted today? If you were asking where I'd rank them as pro prospects, I'm going to decline to answer that just because I, I don't do that. I don't combine players who are still amateurs into my pro lists uh, because of the huge gap in information that we have on uh, those two categories of players. And in particular, in this case, Rocker and Leiter barely pitched this spring. I will say I think both guys are going to be first-rounders when their respective draft years come. I think Rocker has probably been a bit overhyped as a potential 1-1 guy. He's probably in the larger mix of guys who could be 1-1 next year, but not on the shorter list, and certainly not you know, when he threw a no-hitter in a playoff start last year for Vanderbilt. And he was pretty clearly gassed by the end of it. People were talking about him. Oh, he's going to be 1-1 when he gets to be a junior. No, probably not. It's just probably not true. I think there's other guys in the class who are arguably better. And I think Rocker, while very good and absolutely a first rounder, has some flaws. Has some things that he clearly will have to work on that separate him from some of the other guys who could be 1-1 in the class. I also think next year's class is probably going to be pretty good because... A lot of kids who might ordinarily have signed in the 4th to 10th round or 11th round range this year ended up not getting drafted and will go to junior college or return to school. Maybe a lot of them will just go to four-year schools and we won't see them for three more years. So uh, it's not a criticism of Rocker. I Hopefully it is just being a bit more realistic. In Leiter's case, I thought Leiter was probably a back-of-the-first-round prospect out of high school. I bet you he'll be about the same coming out of college. Maybe he moves up to the middle of the first round. I don't think there's enormous upside there. Guys like Leiter, who are super polished, but don't have a ton of physical projection, they can do better in the draft out of college because they have data. Now we have you know, we will have seen him pitch for three years in the SEC, but he's not going to be a different person physically. He's not going to be a different player physically. He's not going to start hitting 98. He's not going to suddenly have some wipeout slider, uh, or at least that's very unlikely. But he will have probably by that point three years of performance and could be uh, could move up into the top 15 or so as a result. I just think there's a little bit of an upper bound on where someone like Leiter could go because of the lack of pure stuff. That's all the questions I'm going to have time for this week. Thank you so much for sending all those in. There were a couple more that I wasn't able to get to just for time constraints or other few other questions. I just didn't think I... Uh, was really qualified to answer. But I do appreciate everyone sending in questions on short notice like that. And uh, we'll try to do this every once in a blue moon, maybe just as a segment at the end of the show, but continue taking some questions here on the podcast through the rest of the season. I also will resume the text chats 
Uh, maybe this week, maybe next week. I don't know. When we actually have more to talk about, hopefully at some point soon, we'll have games. Well, games with healthy players and no bad outcomes, and we'll be able to get back to just talking about the baseball. In the meantime, thank you so much for listening. Stay safe. Please wear your masks.